Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance. Avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the plague. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You're going to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Welcome into the Illini Choir Podcast. Jeremy Warner, Joey Wagner here, and I know Illinois basketball played a game in Spain that they won by 45, but that's not going to be the focus of this podcast. We will get Derek Piper uh, or Michael Tool and or uh, to discuss the big win for Illinois over a team that wasn't very good. Joey, you are pounding on that computer, my man. I'm not typing, man. You're clicking that mouse. Am I? Oh, I am. <laughs> Feverish. I got it. Yeah, I got a lot. You're right. I definitely do that. <laughs> I hate to call you out, but the people are hearing it. Uh, in, I, yeah, I need called out. So I've got my mind. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that's exactly what's happening. Um, we will talk about the game real quick. But uh, in this podcast, we're going to talk a little bit about what we've learned through the first week of Illinois football training camp. We'll hit on realignment as well. Uh, but you and I were like peaking at this Illinois basketball game against Valencia in all respects to Valencia, it did not look like a team capable of competing with a Big Ten team like uh, Illinois, Joey. But uh, Illinois, we saw moments of it as we were between interviews and practice availability and, and practice viewing. Um, and uh, the one thing I was watching as we were sitting there in Smith Center was Terrence Shannon's really good. 25 points on 10 of 14 shooting. A lot of those dunks, a lot of those at the rim uh, he had 25 points in 15 minutes when he was on the court, when Coleman Hawkins was on the court, who had seven points, nine rebounds, five assists for Coleman, uh, Illinois just blew this team out. So to have those two as givens, uh, to have them have good games after Brad called Terrence a, what did, what did he call him? Um, no, it was not flattering um, no. in a very Brad Underwood way. Some fish. I don't deal with fish. Um, <laughs> You don't deal with birds. You don't deal with fish. Uh, but he called him, usually he's a barracuda, right? And uh, the meme, which I'm sure Brad Underwood made himself. I'm sure he's got a meme generator somewhere. That That's what he was doing when Jeff was coaching. He was over there getting That's this right. meme game going. That's right. He, he probably was. Uh, but, yeah, what a game by, by Terrence Shannon and Coleman Hawkins. That certainly stands out. But 6-28 from three, not so good. Dre gives Lawhorn chucking it up there today. I uh, had a great windmill dunk. Saw him early on get to the rim, which is uh, something Illinois needs more guys who can do, uh, which is get to the rim off the bounce. But uh, one of eight from three, uh, Sincere Harris, oh of three from three, um, and 15 of 27 from the free throw line. Not so good. So the shooting not going so well in Spain. But uh, any thoughts, Joey? No. I mean, Derek Piper and I talked before Illinois played their first game, and 
kind of said, what, what are you looking for? And one of the things beyond the shooting, which has not delivered at all in the first two games, that remains a concern. It was a concern where they got on the plane to go to Spain was, we'll see Terrence Shannon be the best player on the floor because that's how he should carry himself in every game uh, that Illinois plays in. I know there's going to be some games he's not the best player on the floor. That's how he needs to carry himself um, as a potential NBA guy. And I think he delivered that today, Jeremy. I think you saw that kind of the takeover after a, a not very – I don't even know that good. We didn't see the, see the darn thing. Um, just the stat sheet wasn't really overwhelming for him. It's kind of underwhelming in his first game. He bounced back, and he played like the Tarantino we thought. Same concerns. Like, I feel like I haven't learned much because the concerns I had, shooting, who's your point guard, um, I, I think those probably still exist now after two games in Spain. Uh, the good thing is you only had 11 turnovers in this game, and I Valencia must have had 30 turnovers in this game. Illinois had 19 steals uh, in this game. So on the good side, we are getting a bigger sample size because we saw practice last week. We saw a box score. Uh, from the previous game, and but now we have this game that we've actually seen, right? Um, Illinois, we got concerns about shooting, both three-point shooting and free throws, and getting people good looks. That is a concern, is having somebody who can distribute. And, you know, Ty Rogers today, uh, three assists to one turnover. That's better. I saw the one turnover, so I was like, ooh, uh, how's this thing going so far? But to get these reps is going to be good for him. Um, Dre Gibbs Lawhorn, 12 points on 15 shots, say two turnovers, zero assists. So point guard remains a concern. Three-point shooting remains a concern. Shannon made two of four. Goody, one of three. Moretti hit one. Coleman Hawkins, one of two. Uh, but uh, I don't expect Gibbs Lawhorn and Sincere Harris to combine for 11 three-point attempts. They only made one of them today. Um, so, hey, get your reps up, especially in a, in a blowout win like this. But those remain concerns for this team. Where I think this team is going to be really strong, Joey, is defensively and on the glass. Now, this team they played today just did not have a front court, right? But Illinois had 64 rebounds, 25 offensive rebounds. Hansbury, who had 13-9 and nine today, got extended run. Um, he had nine boards. Hawkins had nine boards. Gary Ayer has had eight boards. He's been really strong in the glass. Uh, Luke Goody's been good there. Justin Harmon had six boards. Sincere Harris had seven boards today. So this team's long, athletic, physical, and we saw a bunch of dunks and oops today. Like Those are the things this team's really good at. It's, it's the skill part. It's the creating shots and, and hitting shots that this team still has to prove it can do. Yeah, I Gary Ayer is somebody that I think you and I and Derek kind of circled in practice. Like, man, this guy is just old, smart guy, uh, physical, tough. All those things kind of showed up. I'm going to level with you. You and I, like you mentioned, we didn't get a chance to sit down and watch this thing start to finish today. Um, but what we saw was exactly that. And a, a guy who's smart rebounder, tenacious rebounder. I didn't get the offense going in the portions that, that we saw, but it's what I thought. I think he, he's a, a guy who fits well. I think Brad Underwood, as, as we know, prioritized that, prioritized him uh, multiple times, both out of high school and out of the portal. Uh, so I, I think he's like a, he's a really big cog in that defensively rebounding. Uh, but, yeah, man, I think that that's going to be a strength, and that kind of ties into us thinking the front court is going to be a position of strength for Illinois. I think those just – I don't think it's coincidental that those two things go together. Yeah, the thing about Gary Ayer is he lets – I mean, he could play the three. 
right? Like he can guard threes in my opinion, uh, but he can play the four. He's more of a post guy, I think, and that, that can shoot a little bit. Um, but that allows Goody to play the three, and Goody's really strong on the glass. Ty Rodgers in your backcourt. Like we got questions about Ty maybe offensively, but – we do know he's a really strong rebounder and a really good defender, uh, and and they they caused havoc on that side of the court. Uh, one more note: Marcus Domask held out this game. That's not a surprise after we heard from Brad Underwood last week that he had hamstring injury, so I wouldn't expect him to play in the final game either. So they got one more game on this trip uh, coming up later this week, uh, and we will get D- Derek Piper probably on this podcast in the next twenty four hours or so uh, to break down what he saw because he did see it more in depth. Joey, the Big Ten has 18 teams next year. Oregon and Washington heading to the Big Ten. What was your reaction? Um, Less surprised than UCLA and USC because it felt like that was going. Like It felt like the Pac-12 was really, really wobbling before those two left. And USC and UCLA was like, oh, my God, what? Um, But still kind of surprised because it's happening so quickly, there's a lot of financials that have still got to be worked out with those two programs coming into the Big Ten. Um, and then I just kind of weird. Is that okay? Like, I'm kind of weird about it because the Pac-12 is not on very stable footing. Um, <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> to say the least. Um, you, you, it's just it's, it's weird, man. It's weird. Uh, everything that we thought about the next two schedules after the 23 season football-wise, gone you still have to figure out how this is going to work for basketball i mean you're talking basketball all every other sport you're talking so many more trips west can you imagine being that guy or group of people or that gal in that office you spent a year and a half figuring out this great schedule and not illinois but the big 10 have put together this great flex schedule that we don't even know if that still exists like the protected rivalry thing we have no idea if that's still a thing no idea if that's still gonna be a thing but can you imagine yeah, we need you to co- like probably going off on a, a great vacation, a deserved month long vacation. We need you to come back into the office, okay? Like, and it's like, what we got to do this all over again? Uh, but yeah, because they're coming here in 2024. I thought it'd be like 26, but uh, the Pac 12 obviously needs a media deal here soon and might not even be a conference uh, after this year. Listen, I understand why it's happening. Um, I don't know if I. I I don't like, I'm not sitting here going like, oh, I can't believe this is happening to college football, uh, what we knew for college football. Listen, college football has been doing this for for decades, but it's all happening. Like all these changes at once, Joey, the transfer portal, NIL, this, it's it's all so much to take in. But the, the Southwest Conference was a thing. It was a pretty big thing. The Big 12 has only been around for, what, 30 years? Something like that. Um, Penn State moving into the conference, Rutgers and Maryland. So this stuff has always happened. But to happen like it is and for a conference like the Pac-12 to potentially dissolve, it's a lot. And then to, to think that a conference has 18 teams. Um, I, I don't like it in the short term because I just don't know how it's going to look, how it's going to work. Like, how does this – are we doing divisions? Are we doing pods or all those things? But then I, I sit there and think, does it matter? Because ultimately we're in this messy middle ground, Joey, where we're getting to 20 or 24 team super conferences, Right. And what does that look like? Is that fun? Because that could be fun. Like it could be fun if you looked like the NFL with divisions, like your team and my team competing in the NFC North for division championships. Only one of them seems to win them. Um, But like that is fun that you play for the division, you get into the playoff, and then you have a conference 
that you kind of whittle into and you play the other conference. Like that could end up being fun if like Illinois is playing for the conference title is more the division title. I don't know what that division title is, but maybe it's with Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, Purdue, and Northwestern, right? And then you have another Eastern Conference, and you have a West Conference, whatever it is, West Division, I should say. And then you play – the Big Ten has a playoff, and then the SEC has a playoff, and those two teams meet. Like, that could end up being fun, but there's a lot of teams on the outside looking in of all of that. There's a lot of, there's a lot of messiness that's going to be involved in, in whatever the next 10 years looks like. Um, and, and for the meantime, it's just, I don't know if it's good for the sport. I don't know if it's good for, it could be good for football. I don't think it's going to be good for all these other sports. Um, and it's just, it's messy right now. And it's, I don't know where we're going. And I even asked Brett Bielma that question, where are we going with all this? And, and he doesn't know. So I'd love to ask Josh Whitman that I'd love to ask Robert Jones, the president of Illinois or the chancellor of Illinois, because he's uh, the head of the chancellors and presidents council here. So it's just kind of like, where are we going? We're kind of in the middle. We're in the middle of all of this change. Yeah, and in the process of that, you're losing a lot of um, like neighborly rivalries that mean a lot to a lot of people. Um, Illinois and Iowa, Illinois, and Minnesota, Illinois, Wisconsin don't play annually now, as it stands now. I don't, dude. Who knows what that's going to look like in December? Whenever this play thing gets Oregon, sore. as often as you play Iowa, that'll be weird. It's very weird. So you're sacrificing that for money, which. I mean, I guess if you're going to sacrifice it for anything, may as well be money. Um, and that, look, the, the other part I kind of wrestle with is new rivalries can still be born out of this, right? Like, for is it going to be with the same intensity that, like, Illinois basketball and Iowa basketball? Probably not. Like, good games, equally matched teams produce there rivalries. More, there will be more good games. That is for sure. Absolutely. Um, and, and some rivalries will be born out of that. Right, it'll take time, and it's going to happen tomorrow, and it's not going to be as fierce as, as the ones we've come to know. Uh, but they'll be born. But you're sacrificing, like Oregon, Oregon State, Washington, Washington State. That's not a thing. But they're going to play Penn State, Rutgers. Um, it, it's just uh, Illinois. Like that just feels weird to me. Like it, you kind of traded in, like asking people who have, have invested decades and a good deal of money into these programs to say, well, it's going to be a little harder to see your team because half the time you're going to be so far away. It's not drivable. It's not accessible, at least within the realm of a lot of financial hope. And that's what kind of stinks a, a little bit um, to watch those things slowly go away. Maybe the best way to do this is like, who are the winners and losers of this? Um, the winners are the TV networks. And everybody getting a check from them. Or, or the streaming. Yeah. I mean, Brett Bielma came out and said, hey, I support this, whatever. I would, if I were Brett Bielman, you're going to make more money because of this. Like the, the expansion, this new media deal, it's the reason he's getting six to $7 million a year, right? Like, so yeah, all these, I think the schools, the athletic departments, this is a win for them in the revenue side of things, the TV networks, that certainly is. And I think for football and basketball players, it's going to be a huge win. Because like, this is only going to help you in your case for um, more pay. Um other winners of this, obviously the Big Ten and the SEC. Uh, the Big 12 has been a, a big winner in this and being able to poach off these, these Pac-12 schools remains to be seen with the, with the ACC. But anyone who's making money, I think, is the benefit. The losers of this, would you say the other student-athletes? like Yeah, and the people spending money. Explain that. 
the fans spending money, like you're just not, it's not going to be as accessible to go. If you're an Illinois fan and, and let's say every other year you drove to Iowa, to Wisconsin, to Minnesota, that was your thing, right? Or if you're a Minnesota fan, Iowa's got 150 rivalries, it sounds like. Yeah. Uh, so if you're an Iowa fan, like you go to these, is it feasible for you to get in the car and go to UCLA, to USC, to Arizona, to Washington? Uh, and to be fair, it's probably not very feasible to go to Penn State, Maryland, Rutgers, um, along those lines. Or Imagine, I mean, we're talking like the Midwest that are kind of in the middle. What if you're a Penn State fan and four of your 12 games are on the other side of the country? Like, it's just the people spending money are, are probably on the outside. Like, what is going on here? Which is, I, I do want to bring this up really quickly because I wonder what you think. Um, this is just a lot of money. And, like, you hear the numbers and you're like, dang, that's a lot. We can't comprehend how much that is because we don't have that. And we, it's not coming into our pocket. I do think, and no athletic director is going to do this, no chancellor or president is going to do this. But if there was a little more clarity on where some of this money coming in from the TV network was earmarked to go to, like, would people feel better about that? Like, okay, well, my team is going to play on the other side of the country, but because of this deal, we're getting X, Y, or Z. Like, would that be easier to stomach if you're a fan? I don't know. I think so. It, it goes straight back into your product, right? Like, it's going into your facilities. It's going into your coaches, most importantly, probably. It's per, it's your personnel. It's going into your personnel. You get Brett Bielma and you pay him $6, 7000000 million. And then in two, five years, he's going to get paid $10 million. I mean, I understand that. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with that. But like, you had Brett Bielma before this Pac-12 stuff happened, right? right. So, like, now it becomes even more valuable. Like, I get become, it. I get it. I just think it's it's harder to comprehend when you just like, it's like, it's the same it's with reason, everything. It's with everything. Same reason Jalen Brown's going to make $70 million because in the new NBA and how much money they make, you have to put that back into the product. And, He's makes 35% of the cap. So that, that, that's what's going to happen. So I don't know if it's like, oh, you're going to get this thing. It's just you are going to be part of the club. And that's the losers of this. The biggest losers of all of this are Oregon State, Washington State, potentially Cal. We'll see what happens with Stanford here. But if I'm sitting there and, and I'm Wake Forest um, or, or some of these other schools in the ACC that aren't known, Boston College. Really, I mean, I know they got a little bit of history there, but if you're those schools in the ACC that the SEC is not going to want, you're going to be on the outside looking in. And I don't know if in 10 years do these TV networks push the Big Ten or the SEC to consolidate further. Because what do they want? They want Ohio State, USC. They want Oregon against Michigan, right? Like that. those are the matchups they want. Do they want Northwestern Purdue, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's still – a big 10 game, but those aren't the games they're wanting. They're wanting these, these huge, huge rivalries. And that's why Texas and Oklahoma in the sec uh, is going to make sense. And then you go steal Miami or Clemson. Those are big brands that you want. Maybe North Carolina is involved in that. Um, so I, I don't know what that looks like in 10 years of, of where those schools go. Like does the big 12 just decide to become the, the basketball conference and picks up some of those ACC teams that get left out like Duke or something like that. I don't, I don't know. Um, and you could have Duke North Carolina rivalry gone in basketball. So yeah, I mean, the losers are the, the traditional rivalries because that's what makes a lot of these things fun, but man, it's been going away for a while. The ACC and you know, the big East basically changing completely over the last you know, two decades is that's been happening here for a while. Oklahoma, Oklahoma State obviously is not going to happen. So, um, 
yeah, man, like th- those are those are definitely some of the, the losers in this. I don't know where I'm at with the fans yet, because I do think in 10 years this could be a lot of fun for fans. But the way they've consumed college football or college basketball or whatever it is for the last 20, 30 years is definitely different. Um, and for some people, I know it's probably not not any good. It's not it's not better. Yeah, I mean, it's not better if you're an Oregon fan or a Washington fan or a Rutgers fan or a Penn State fan. Like you're let's say you live in New Jersey. Uh, your team plays a 7 p.m. local tip on a Tuesday night at Oregon. That's 10 p.m. for you. Like the way you consume the game has changed in the sense that you might not. Yeah. At least live. I'm in the same would go for the other way where if you're in Oregon or Washington, you might be finishing up your last hour at work. And um, you, might the, not, you might not be good in your new conference. Might not be good. Think about Nebraska there for, for a moment, right? I mean, I don't know if Texas and Oklahoma are going to be nearly as good uh, in their new conference. Like that's the one thing if you're an Oregon State fan. And you go to like, listen, you're on the outside looking in. You're not going to make nearly as much money. Um, but if you do end up, say, like in the Mountain West, you might be competing for conference titles, something that doesn't happen all that often in the Pac-12. So the games might be more fun, but you're not playing for the same stakes that you were previously, even if you weren't a very good program. And I know Oregon State's playing well recently. Yeah, but your recruiting might change if you don't have a conference to sell um, to a kid on the recruiting trail. So it's just, yeah, man, like I don't – I know that I love it. I understand the fine. Like I understand the financial ramifications of it. I, I get it. I think there's a lot of domino effects that are just kind of like, well, that kind of sucks. If that, like, if that ultimately is a thing, um, if some of these rivalries truly fall away, or you know, you basketball, you, you can get into. Are there still is twenty game Big Ten schedule still viable? Like, what? There's so many different domino questions. It's like just when you started to get used to things. Like it, it's probably, um, it's potentially going to fall fall by the wayside. So it's it's weird, man. It's different. You know who else is a loser in this? The NCAA, because I don't think the SEC and Big Ten are going to be part of the NCAA in about within 10, 12 years. We'll see if that's a hot take, but it feels like it's trending that way, Joey. It does. Like, and, and it might feel more like it trends that way when this ACC, like, because the ACC is like the next domino out there. Mm-hmm. Right, like there's all smaller dominoes, but the next big wave, I think, probably has to do with the ACC. Um, when that, you know, when that is, we'll see. But that could probably, you know, if you're the NCAA, you might be circling the date that you think that could happen. Like, oh boy, you're basically looking at the Big Ten as the Western Conference and the SEC as the Eastern Conference. You know what I mean? Like that's that's what it would. That, like that's where I think we're heading. Uh, and where the Big Twelve is in that, I don't know where. If there's a remaining ACC, I don't know. Like maybe the Big 12 is just the basketball conference. I don't, I don't know what it's all going to look like. Or does Big 12 have a seat at the table? I don't, I don't know. Big 12 rebounded pretty well, it did. given where it stood a few years ago. Um, good for the Big 12 for, for kind of putting it together quickly because it, it didn't look very promising for them. This episode of the Illini Choir podcast is brought to you by BetterHelp. Sometimes in life we're faced with tough choices and the path isn't always clear. This can be with some major life changes, guys, whether it's going away to college, hitting the real world on your own. I know that's difficult. Relationships with significant others or struggling as a parent. You always need someone to talk to. And whether you're dealing with decisions around your career, relationships, or anything else, therapy helps you stay connected to what you really want while you navigate this life thing so you can move forward with confidence and excitement. Trusting yourself to make decisions that align with your values is like anything. The more you practice it, the easier 
it gets. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, if you've kind of been wavering about it, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is just fill out a brief questionnaire, get matched with a licensed therapist, and if you don't mesh with that therapist, you can find another one for no additional charge with BetterHelp. So let therapy be your map with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Illini today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Illini. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, one love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. All right, Joey. Let's talk about Illinois football. And how we're going to do this is we have had very little access to actually seeing practice. What we have been able to see is a lot of good stretching, a lot of pliability. Out there, Joey. Special uh, teams. A lot of good special teams that we've seen, like watching Andy Boo take these guys through being runners, uh, gunners, all those different things, blockers. Uh, it's been fun to watch, um, but very little individual drills. But we have met with a lot of the assistants. We have met uh, with a lot of the players, and, and of course, Brett Bielma and the coordinators as well. So we've had about a week of training camp practices. We're five practices in, I believe. Uh, six. Six, six practices in as we record this on August 9th. So let's just go back and forth here, and we're going to talk about what we've learned from Illini training camp so far. So a thing that stuck out, I'll let you go first, Joey, uh, is just whatever comes to mind, what you think has been interesting so far that you've learned. I mean, I think we've got to start with Matthew Bailey. That was number um, one. Yeah, I mean, we, you and I project him as a starter. I don't think that's unfair to do. I think it's very reasonable to think that. Um, and he has been out as he continues to deal with the same injury that held him out in the spring and apparently impacted him in the summer, if it's still impacting him, uh, we've seen him in a walking boot. We've seen him on a kind of a scooter. And today we saw him on crutches. Brett Bielema has said he remains hopeful that Matthew Bailey will uh, return to practice a few weeks. It sounds like before the Toledo game, which yep. kind of getting closer to that here. Um, but if you see a guy in a boot with the season less than a month away, it's probably fair to wonder, but they, they need Matthew Bailey, man. Yeah. So Matthew Bailey broke his foot in the off season, dropped a weight on his foot, broke the foot, uh, sat out most of spring ball or all spring ball. And then, you know, during the summer, I think he was healing. They were watching that process. And Brett Bielma said the other day, there was a setback. We don't know what that setback was, but the first day we get to training camp, we see him with a walking boot on and rolling around in one of the scooters where you don't put any pressure on your foot. And then today we see him on crutches. Now, maybe this is just to protect him from himself so he doesn't push it. Uh, so that would be the optimistic view. But when I'm four weeks out from the season opener and I see Matthew Bailey on crutches and, and wheeling around and I saw him you know, limp around a little bit, like I just I'd question whether he'll be ready for the opener, which means adding those transfer safeties and Clayton Bush, who's a free safety, Demetrius Hill, 
I'll ask Aaron Henry. He's he's been thought of as a free safety, but if Bailey happens to be out, I think he could potentially come up in the box. But Nicario Harper, who sat out practice today, didn't look like anything serious. Um, he's an important piece at, at strong safety, but depth might be really important here. And two of the main guys that are depth right now at safety are you know walk-ons guys. Um Solo Turner potentially is a strong safety, could be the third string guy. If Bailey's not playing, he steps up in the depth chart. Uh, and then Miles Scott's gotten some buzz since the spring, since he moved from wide receiver to uh, safety. Now he's more of a free safety type. Um, so I think he would give depth there. But yeah, safety depth gets interesting there. And and Brett Bielma told you the other day, like they think some of those guys can be interchangeable at times at safety uh, based on what they do. But uh, Matthew Bailey projected to be a strong safety. So Nicario Harper is going to be really important there and, and potentially depth beyond him. Yeah, absolutely. And at a position where you're replacing four or five starters in your defensive secondary, all three. Uh, I don't know if we should still call nickel a safety because the nickels we've seen practicing with yeah. Antonio Finellis and the cornerbacks, but the, the point being three guys they considered safety positions last year and then obviously Devin Witherspoon. So, yeah, uh, they, they added depth in the offseason a lot, like kind of like pretty steadily, right? First it was Nicario Harper, then it was Demetrius Hill. I think that order's right. And then Clayton Bush. Um, and, and, and don't you perk up and think maybe Clayton Bush was in part. Um, I think Demetrius Hill, he told me he played strong safety last year. So I do think he's a guy that could play that role. Um, and Clayton Bush, they've talked about, is, is explicitly uh, a free safety. Maybe the dime have, package, we think. Yeah, and could play in the dime package as well. But they talked about him as a center fielder. I wonder if they had a Clayton Bush be like, all right, maybe if we have to move Hill up in the box as a strong safety, we could do that. Because, I mean, we've seen Demetrius Hill. He he looks very capable of playing in the box. How big he is. Yeah, I, th I think that's a, a reasonable point. Um, I mean, I, I don't know that there's a bigger question I have when we meet with Brett Bielma. And for the next few times we do, then, hey, how's Matthew Bailey? Because you're talking a projected starter um, in, in a heavy turnover, a position of heavy turnover. Yep. And a guy who looked really good. Like, it isn't like, oh, he's just not just a proje projected starter. There's no such thing. But a guy who looked good as a freshman who, yep. who shows a lot of long-term ability. So one of the most biggest questions we had was secondary. So to have one of your main pieces that you thought was a given, to have him, you know, still injured, still recovering from injury, uh, four weeks out is is a concern. My first one, Joey, is going to be Josh Kruitz is your starting center. There's no question. Like I think we had a feeling that would be the case, uh, but they've talked about it. Basically, like, yeah, Josh Kruitz is our guy, um, which obviously they were trying to get an upgrade or, or get some competition, and they added competition with Will Lease at that center position. But you talked with Bart Miller today. I heard a little bit from Bart Miller today, uh, and they, they rave about, his intelligence, his IQ, his um, you know ability to communicate at the line of scrimmage. Of course, he's just not played. Uh, besides the barge formation, he hasn't really played on the offensive line. So uh, they're entrusting him to to a big position. I think they're really eager to to see how he does. Given a, we'll mention it over and over again, just like we did Doug Kramer's undersized, but can he overcome those things? Yeah, I think there were times last season that he gave them confidence in practice that should something happen to Alex Pilstrom, they, they would have had a degree of comfort um, with him going out there. But the point remains, they tried pretty hard this off season to add, not just like depth. We, we've seen Brett Bielema address depth, mostly short of quarterback in the transfer portal, 
they were kind of starter hunting here at center with Avery Jones and uh, oh, who was the Juco? Amari Wiggins was the Juco, yeah. Yeah. And he, Arkansas, is that right? For yeah. Him? I think he's a backup at Arkansas. Uh, yeah. So I, and now it's like Cruz is a guy. And, and I, I've said this before on here and I'll say it again. I got the vibe and talking to people through the offseason that he, like, all right, bring it on. Yeah. Competition's fine. Bring it on. I'm not worried. He's, he's confident in himself. He's confident in his skills. And, and it seems like, you know, I know you talked with Isaiah Adams um, earlier this week. seems like they're pretty confident in him and, and kind of follow that confidence and that, I mean, he kind of puffs his chest out a little bit. He's not arrogant, but, like, he believes in himself. He should. He's good football player. I don't want to mention Owen every time we mention Josh. I feel bad about it. But everyone knows who Owen is, and he's feisty as hell. That's what they say. That's what they say about Josh. And I, I, I've seen it. I, I've seen him do that in practice. And when he was a high school player, he's feisty as heck. Um, so both Julian Pearl and Isaiah Adams both mentioned that. So, yeah, he seems to have uh, earned a lot of confidence over the last, um, you know, eight, nine months. And uh, I think there's no question he is the guy at center. What do you got, Joey? Let's just stay on the offensive line, should we? I think Zy Chrysler is the right tackle. Mm-hmm. I think he, he's the front runner there. Uh, we wondered, we, we had heard later in the summer that that was probably an option. Remember, we didn't see him in the spring, which, to be fair, we probably would have seen him at right tackle had he been healthy in the spring. Uh, sounds like he's lost some weight. He's reshaped his body more than 20 pounds, which is notable because, I mean, he's a he's a large guy. Obviously, you've got to be on the offensive line. But when you're coming off surgery, you you wonder what that looks like. And, and he he kept himself in, in really good shape and, and he uh, needed- enough that he can go out there. He needed to be rotated in for last year um, yeah. because of that. Jordan Slaughter played a six-man role and was valuable, but they, they had to do that with Zach Chrysler to keep him fresh, too. That's right. So that would mean – like, no one said Zach Chrysler is the right tackle going to Toledo, but it, I think we are smart enough to be able to, to piece that together, which means right guard is open, Jeremy. And I think that's primarily Jordan Slaughter and Josh Geske trying to battle that out in a very similar way that Jordan Slaughter's trying to – for a starting spot for man a few years now um so it sounds like what we thought out of spring right we we saw Geski at right tackle and we we assumed chrysler would just slide back in at right guard that is um flipped with jordan slaughter in the mix trying to get some snaps there as well and trying to win that starting job yeah sorry to ask you this on the air but what did bart miller talk about josh Geski today and what did he say because I'm, I'm wondering he if did. it lines up with adams and and uh pearl talking about uh he did i've Got two questions. Bart Miller for this. We like this about Bart, Bart Miller. Very long-winded, very detailed answer. It does take a minute to transcribe. But a lot of what Brett Bielma said, a guy who has really reworked his body, who, who's put a lot in, who's worked his butt off um, since this coaching staff, which didn't recruit him. I think it's fair to, you know, like they didn't. They, they kept him on. Um, he, his, he works really hard. And he's a guy who, who worked himself into this position and Bart Miller said something along the lines of, you know, it probably happened faster than maybe I thought it would Yeah, with him when they first got here and like that, that's a pretty good, um, or pretty high praise. Um, yeah, for Josh I, I wrote the story when he was a recruit, but he, he's a type one diabetic. Uh, so to put weight on him was a big question. Like how, how do they do it? Do they do it well? And he's done an unbelievable job of that. And uh, I think it was either Isaiah Adams, or Julian Pearl just raved about him in the, in the, weight room about how he's done that so the strength stands out and the other thing that stands out because when we hear bart miller talk about physicality 
that's a great chance to get on the field because he he would rather get physical than have the perfect technique. He goes, as long as you are the more physical guy, you have a chance. Like that matters more to Bart Miller, which is a change from the previous staff, to be honest with you. Like it's about mindset. And from the way that his fellow offensive linemen talk about him, Josh Geske is a very physical player. So um, I think he's got a real chance to, to win that job, even over a veteran and Jordan Slaughter, who, who he knows is a solid, serviceable player when he's in there. Uh, but it, it does sound like in the other part about Geske, he can play tackle too. So if, I don't know if they want him to play a tackle, but he potentially gives him the versatility that if something happens at right tackle, that that maybe he could he could play that too. Yeah, I think it's a two man race for that right guard job. And and just to, to be clear on everything else, the left side hasn't changed, not going to change. I don't know that it ever was going to change. No. Um, they they like Julian Pearl at left tackle. They love Julian Pearl at left tackle. Love Isaiah Adams at left guard. Feel very very strongly about what that left side can be. Um, and now you're starting to see. They've not said it, but I think you're starting to get the vibe that the right side is shaping up. And as you mentioned, Kurtz at center. All right, Joey. My next one, the quarterback competition is intriguing. The backup quarterback competition is intriguing. Um, Luke you Altmaier. feel good about that? Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> Got people in the end of their seats there. Um, yeah, it's Luke Altmaier's a starter. There, there's no surprise there. They're not going to announce that. He'll probably announce it. Let's see here. Last week, August, you think? I'm scared, I'm scared to click with my mouse. Um, <laughs> uh, I would think I, in maybe a week and a half. Week and a half. I would think we usually talk to Brett Bielma on Saturdays. He had yeah. mentioned two weeks. So two I weeks think now. I would think um, August 19th would be a day that potentially, if uh, yeah, for, for him to announce, he might mess with us because he's pretty in tune to a lot of things and. And drop this. I could also see him doing Saturday at Media Day, to be honest with you. He could. Yeah. Um, but I would say one of the next two Saturdays would be a circle this date type of uh deal. Yeah. But uh I mean, we've barely seen the quarterbacks. We saw them a little bit in the spring. They like they really like Donovan Leary. Uh, but uh you saw today in practice, John Paddock was was repping with Josh McCray. He's a top two running back, of course. Um, uh, so I mean, we saw Leary get a ton of backup reps, including and some first team reps. During the spring, I know they really like Donovan Leary, um, but John Paddock wouldn't be surprised if he won the backup job. But it's just a really intriguing thing. I, I think Paddock would make sense, especially with the schedule that you have, Joey, that you really might not have a game where you could put Donovan Leary in for a couple series because I, I don't think Toledo I, I wouldn't project a blowout. Um, maybe they do, and that'd be great, and you can get Donovan Leary in there. But just to have somebody with experience behind Luke Altmaier, that's why they brought John Paddock in. Uh, and, and you know he can probably manage a game. Like you're not throwing Donovan Leary into the into the fire without ever, you know, kind of getting warmed up first. Yeah, I, I mentioned this last time. I still think there might be a, a difference between backup. Like if Luke Altmaier were to get hurt in the middle of a game, close game you probably put john paddock out there because he's been in those situations would john paddock then start if this were a multi-week thing would he start the following week with a week to build donovan leary into that i don't know yeah um, but i think it's a very close race um right there between those two and you're right they like donovan leary a lot they've been really really vocal about how much he's developed over the course of the last year i know you wrote about it jeremy but He's a look team quarterback looking at Sidney Brown, Quan Martin, Devin Witherspoon, Kendall Smith, the, the defensive front. So like that helps you. That helps you grow. And we shouldn't 
overlook the fact that his brother, Devin Leary, you don't think there's phone calls between those two guys, like trying to just talk? Like, I just been around it. You just, you just like, if you're the first one that ever went to college, like, you're the first one in your family ever to do like, you don't know what to expect. You don't know who to talk to about those things. Well, if you're a younger brother like me, you know, some of those things, you know, like just what you have to have to do in those situations. So, yeah, I mean, he's been watching his brother play college football at a high level and then he gets to ask him about it or talk to him about it or be around all that stuff. Like there's so much value in that. There is. And the, his development seems very real, which is exactly what you would think over a year years worth of time i'm really interested with him uh what that looks like moving forward what it looks like this year i mean we're we'll, we'll see it's a six practices in will that depth chart change at all in the middle of next week right i mean i think that's they want practices under their belt before they start changing depth charts we'll see i mean it, it is a it does feel like a very real competition for that backup spot yeah and they haven't i remember the first series of the scrimmage that we saw in the spring he struggled the first series, and they settled in. Um, while John Paddock didn't like blow you away, but he was just in control. Like right? he was just like nothing looked too big for him. Don Valeri struggled a little bit early on, and, and th- that's to be expected. Um, yeah, we haven't seen a scrimmage. We haven't really seen him throw all that much this this training camp, but uh, it does seem like that's going to be an intriguing battle. Your turn, Joey. We well, got to do it, Malik Elzey. Um, there's real buzz. Now, we've always, on this podcast, in our conversations and in how we write, you want to make sure you're not setting Aurelius Ben freshman year expectations for Malik Elzey. But Illinois is not doing a lot. Coaches, players aren't doing a lot to pump the brakes in the sense of qualifiers when they talk about him which I think is notable. I, I don't, again, I don't think that means expect him to lead the league or lead the team in receiving or, but I, I, I think Malik he's does. Malik thinks that, right? Like, but that's, that's the It's What makes him tick, right? It's what makes you go um, and, as well as being very physically gifted and seeing him in person. He is a, he's a large individual. What Barry Lenny said, he's large, he's large, big guy. Six to 210 pounds. That is legit. Like 210 pounds. Yeah. Legit. He looks taller than six two. Uh, by the way, but George McDonald, I asked him, Malik has high expectations for himself. Like, how do you, how do you channel that? How do you develop that? And he gave me a great answer. Here's part of it. He's a really good player and he has a lot of confidence. What I try to tell him is that you have to go through the same process. Everyone else is. You can't jump steps. That's what we talked about today. And that's where a young guy like him, they think they're going to just come in and be the guy right away. Some guys do it, but I just try to teach him and tell him, Hey, you're going to have rough days. That's what's supposed to happen. Because you're a freshman. I try to temper his expectations, but not dampen them. And Malik's going to play. Like that, that was, I wrote this down. Malik Elsie will play. But you're right. Like Regis Ben, one of the, he was superior talent to Malik Elsie, just athletically, I think a little bit. But Malik has the potential to be like a Regis Ben, I think eventually. But that Illinois wide receiver room, like this one has Pat Bryant. This one has Casey Washington, who's, you know, a proven veteran, uh, Malik's more talented, but also has Isaiah Williams. So, like, they don't need Malik Kelsey to be the number one wide receiver right away, uh, which I think is, is a good thing, but Malik will play. Like, I, I think he's got a lot of similarities physically to me and, and probably could make a similar impact as a freshman to Malik Turner, who had 25 catches as a true freshman. That's a really good uh, freshman year if that were to be the case. But, man, he's he's really talented, and you're right. They're, 
they haven't gone out of the way to say, guys, hey, slow the train on Malik Elzey. Like the players, like Isaiah Williams, the way he talks about him, the way other guys have talked about him. Like, yeah, this guy's going to be good. Yeah, Casey Washington said, I think it's fair to say he's a freak. <laughs> and like he talked about the look in his eye and that exactly that same driving factor that you would talk about that George McDonald is trying to not change, but maybe perfect a little bit um, to, to use that in the right ways. But we've seen it, dude, right? Like we've seen freshmen come in and, and they have a star ranking and everybody asks, right? And everyone says, well, and then it's, there's always kind of the, the praise, but listen, answer. And I just don't feel like we're getting a lot of but listen yeah. here, which indicates, and like, yes, you mentioned all the receivers they have and they don't need Malik Elzey to be this or that. But you do wonder what's behind those top three, which is another reason I think we're looking at the the roster, the wide receiver room, and seeing a player, seeing him in person, knowing his talent, thinking, well, there is room. And they, Barry Lunny and George McDonald have been, um, I guess, open or have mentioned, like, yeah, we need five, six, seven guys. And there's no so, doubt he's in that five for me. No yeah, doubt. so so the math doesn't add up without him. So I, I think that that factors in, but I do, I've been a little hesitant with, I do think the qualifiers of, Hey, not every freshman year for a wide receiver is X, Y, or Z. I, I love your Malik Turner comparison. I know we collectively talked about that the other day and like, that makes sense. If Pat Bryant were on this team, I think Malik Kelsey would start. Like, because he's big, physical, he can run block. He can do those things. Uh, That's a big one that he can do, right? Like George likes blockers. And the yeah. fact that Malik is willing to block, I think that's a big deal. He's a very physical player. He likes doing those things. He was a really good defender as well. Um, so, yeah, he, he's going to play. He's not skinny. A lot of these guys come in skinny. So, like, you know, even a Sean Miller who's who's progressed during camp, like that guy needs to add strength. Like Malik, yeah, you got to add some strength. You got to get in the weight room and all those things. But he had that. Like he's physically gifted in that way. Like Alex Kafka-Jones, long and lanky. Ashton Hollins, who's having a – a strong year in the offseason is long and lanky and fast, but Malik Elzey is big, physical, athletic, fast, like all those things. So he's going he's to contribute. Um, my turn, correct? Um, mm -hmm. Along those lines, you just look at this team. Illinois is getting so much longer and bigger. Um, offensive line, there's a bunch of 320-pounders on that offensive line. Uh, defensive line, several guys that can play nose tackle, right? Like. Illinois was struggling to find those guys earlier. Uh, and then defensive back. Like, nowhere else is it changed more than how long and lanky these defensive backs are. Like, Devin Witherspoon, hell of a player. Sidney Brown, hell of a player. You don't have to be six foot two or six foot three. Illinois likes those guys, and they're getting much longer. Like, Sabor Kareem is a legit six three. Tyson Rooks, a legit six three. Uh, you know, Elijah McCantos is six foot. He looks small out there with all those corners. Zachary Toby is 6'2 and a really built 180 pounds. Caleb Patterson is really long. Demetrius Hill just looks the part of a Big Ten safety that's, you know, that long, lanky, but physically built guy like Matthew Bailey is that way too, right? So they're just getting longer and stronger. And Brett Bielma says, I don't think we've like gotten worse with speed. So that's what you'd be concerned about is speed and quickness. Do you lose that with, with getting longer and bigger? But he said uh, maybe we haven't lost that speed. So we'll see how that plays out. But it's just a noticeably bigger, longer, and, of course, running back. i got to throw into that mix as well with how big they are at that position. 
Yeah, I want to bring up offensive line along the because defensive backs 100%, dude. It jumps out immediately. Uh, but I asked Julian Pearl, I said, you know, what, what do you think about the guys? Julian Pearl, not a small man himself. What, what, what do you think about that? He said, it's been a lot of differences in the guys that we've brought in. I feel like we look more like a Big Ten team for sure, bigger and more polished. A lot of that comes with us putting the season together and getting some wins under our belt. Great recruiting efforts by the staff. Stuff like that makes it easier for guys who are highly sought after to come in here and play for us. Looks more like a Big Ten team is like circle that because they do. Yeah. So I, I, I'm, I'm just pointing this out. Like, I don't think they would recruit Josh Kurtz like, as, as a prep guy. I, I don't think they would recruit a six foot two, not very long armed guy. Now they like what Josh brings otherwise, but Hunter Whitenack is massive. Um, Desmond Schuster hasn't played yet, but he's massive. TJ McMillan's six three for a center, right? And 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 really up to two ninety something. Brandon Henderson looks doesn't look like a true freshman. Um, Zach Amlin, monster. Montus Moeller is really really big. Joey Oakley's wide. Clayton Leonard's added a lot of strength. Like um, the the offensive line, no no surprise for Brett Bielma. Like they like their big dudes. Yeah, man, it's it looks just physically different out there at training camp. The the small amounts that we're except for. Big leg, David Alano. He does not. He does not look. Can I go with that? That was another one of mine. You mentioned David Alano. David Thank Alano you. is good. That was one of my training camp takeaways. Yeah. We, we get to watch a lot of kicking. And Caleb Griffin looked like he had a veteran day off today. Um, by the way, great behind the back catches. He's an athlete, man. Uh, he is. He is really athletic. Like I forget that. Like they were in the. Oh my goodness, we don't have a lot of wide receivers. Also, any. So please put Caleb Griffin in that room mode in 2021. He's a really good athlete. And he punt returned. Like, really. Future athletic director. Important games, yeah. Uh, I think he might be a coach, but uh, he would be a great high school athletic director. Maybe um, maybe he'll shoot higher than that. But uh, David Alano, small guy. What's he, 150 pounds soaking wet? Huge leg. Like, the velocity the ball comes off. I mean, he gets good air under it, too, so it's not like it's a, a line drive, but Boy, that kid's got real good leg strength. And from what we've seen, the accuracy has been been really good. So I still expect Caleb Griffin to be the guy this year. But that that kicking situation for the short term and long term is really good. I think David Alano is going to be really, really good. Yeah, I'm with you. I wish we had seen more punting. Because I know the natural question that someone would have listening is, well, what about Declan Dooley? We, we just haven't seen a lot of punting, to be honest with you. In the spring we did. Um, yeah. I thought Hugh looked great in the spring which would build off a really good end of the year. Uh, and he seems way more confident now. Declan Dewey had a good leg, certainly. Uh, Hugh Robertson was better than him, which means 30 years old compared to 18. But, um, yeah, I, th- I think Declan Dewey's got got the strong leg. So, uh, But Hugh ended the spring well. We haven't seen much of – we get to see kicking more often and returning more often than, than the punts. But Hugh has been strong in the times we've seen him since last season. Yeah, I guess we're kind of running out of position groups here, aren't we? Um, I, I have, yeah, go I ahead. have one more because and it's not quite the. I still wonder about tight end. I, I just, we know Tip Ryman is the, the talk has been working on his pass catching ability, and I, I think we know him to be a hard enough worker to, to buy in the effort he's put into over the off season. I think Griffin Moore, um, he changed his number to eighty one. And he looks more like it's, it's what was he 43 yeah. last season? That's a weird number for a tight end. 
I think he looks physically good. Like you, you see him, maybe you see eight and uh, almost seven. You almost see a little Daniel Barker at quick glance. Beyond those two, I don't know, man. Like Nathan Gwynn is skinny. Owen Anderson is, and he should be, he should be, he's a freshman. Owen Anderson is still skinny-ish for, for what you would think of a tight end. Uh, Tanner Arkin, we haven't seen a ton of. Tanner's built more like an H-back. He and, sure is. Yeah, built more. The key here is Henry Boyer. And mm-hmm. he was out today for practice. We saw him practicing earlier in the week, so I don't think it's anything serious. Uh, and he was all dressed and everything. But uh, Henry Boyer is the key there because he's huge. 6'7", 270 pounds, really physical, good blocker. He's replacing Luke Ford. That, that's what you need. Somebody to replace Luke Ford. You need Tip Ryman to get better. You need Griffin Moore to be you know, what Michael Marquese was last year, maybe a little bit better if he can be. But Marquese was a nice piece for them. Went nine catches, like 140 yards last year. Um, so you, you need Henry Boyer to be what Luke Ford was last year, which, I mean, Luke was a solid blocker, left you wanting in the passing game. But you just need a rotational guy. And I, I think it's, it's Boyer and Arkin at, at those two positions. Yeah, I agree with you. I just – it's not the – I mean, if I had to pick a position offensively outside of just not knowing what Luke Altmyer is going to bring that you wonder about, it's, it's probably tied in for me. All right, I got one more for the defensive line. Terrence Jameson cannot say enough about said McConnell. Like, he he thinks he's – he said today, he said the biggest jump in the offseason of anyone uh, among his defensive linemen, and it's needed. They need depth there. Like, Jamal Woods was on the Colts for a while. Right, he didn't stick on that roster, but that guy played 100 snaps last year. You need somebody to replace those 100 snaps and potentially be better. I mean, Jamal when he came in was a solid player, but you know Johnny Newton, Keith Randolph, we know how good they are. But I think Seth McConnell's the first off the bench for both those guys. Like Bryce Barnes is going to play um, in the middle. T. Rod Edwards, Denzel Daxon, like can they replace Calvin Avery? I think they can be solid in the middle, and that's what you need from the, those nose tackle positions. But they need depth. For the short term and long term, because what if Newton or Randolph get hurt? That's a huge drop off. Can can Seb McConnell be solid, serviceable starter for you if he needs to be? And can he be a good rotational player? Uh, and, and Terrence Jameson seems uh, to be really confident in that. So we we talked about it on this podcast before. I think Seb McConnell is as important of a backup outside of quarterback uh, is, is on this team because I just don't know if there's another guy like him. Like they, I he's really high on Alex Bray. He's really high on Jeremiah Warren and what those guys are eventually going to be. They're true freshmen. They're developmental guys. They're not going to play this year. So, um, Seb McConnell is that next guy up, and he's going to be a really important piece for the 2024 line. Yeah, he's been in that not going to play category. Um, for he played the most last year. It was the last year's redshirt sophomore year, redshirt freshman. I'm drawing a blank on that. Yeah. So, he's, he's been in that position. He knows that like defensive linemen, offensive linemen take time in the Big Ten to be ready. But he showed a little bit in that bowl game. You desperately need him in case something happens. You desperately need him to give a break to your your two stars and Keith Randolph and Johnny Newton. And is maybe that bowl game? I I wish there was a way. There is a way um, to bring it up to Brett Bielema a little bit. But I do wonder how much of that bowl game you look at a guy like Sed McConnell, a guy like Griffin Moore. Obviously, the defensive back whole operation back there is a Kickstarter. Uh, right, like, yeah. it's a jump start to to the next season. So I think they're like, all right, let's let's play these guys a little bit and, and see give them a little confidence. I, I that's what I think I knew we'd mentioned the kickstarter, but you give them that confidence kickstarter to go out there and make some plays to get some snaps. And it seems like 
Griffin Moore, Seth McConnell, two guys we're talking about, two guys who flashed at, at times in the bowl game are kind of in that category there. Yeah. Um, a couple other things, like I know freshmen are a big deal here. The guys, I mean, Caden Fagan is really impressive looking. He won't need to play this year, uh, most likely, unless they have a rash of injuries. Uh, Kanari Wilcher is going to play. We've talked about that. Uh, speed, they need speed on the on the offense. And uh, I do think Hank Beatty's going to get a lot of reps. And maybe Isaiah Williams can go to the outside and, and use his speed a little bit more to stretch the field. We should probably mention Brandon Henderson. has been a guy people really, really mention a lot. He's got the potential to be a left tackle uh, following Julian Pearl in, in 2024. So Brandon Henderson's a guy they're really excited about. Jeremiah Warren and Alex Bray, we've heard really good things about. Brett Bielma mentioned Mason Moragan. Um, Jojo Hayden got uh, a nice shout-out from Kanena Odaluga. Sabor Kareem's really impressive looking. So just uh, some of the freshmen that we've heard get brought up multiple times there. I know you watched the DBs today more than I did. Any freshman DBs that you think um, should maybe be circled or made note of, whether it be defensively special teams? Yeah, I like the corners. Uh, Jaheim Clark, Zachary Toby, Subur Kareem. I don't think either any of those guys are going to figure in right away. I think Toby could has a chance at the two deep. Now he's got to beat out Prince Ford and Caleb Patterson, the Juco guys likely for that, but he's physically impressive. Subur Kareem, I think, is definitely going to play special teams. Like, I, I think he'll play right away. Maybe though, you know, Hunter Whitenack played last year and didn't redshirt. And he just played special teams, but I think Sabor is going to play a pretty big role early in his career, and, and maybe they want to get him ready for that. So those guys will all play special teams, that's for sure. Uh, Jaheim Clark isn't as tall as those other guys, but he's really long. He is skinnier than those guys, but Toby and Kareem are more physically ready than them. But uh, that, that's a good group. That's a talented group. I just don't know if I'm going to set the expectation yet that they're going to play a huge role. We've talked to Antonio Finellas on Thursday, and I'm looking forward to hearing his thoughts on that. Yeah, I do want to mention the other guy I want to mention. I know we talked about him briefly is uh, Clayton Bush. I, I think he could be a guy in that dime package. Britt Buell has brought him up a few times going back to media day. Maybe that is, as you mentioned, the in case of emergency option uh, for when or if at all Matthew Bailey's injury, you know, if that were to linger on. But he's a guy that's that's come up. Brett Bielema leads the charge on a lot of those transfer guys. And he, he led the charge on Clayton Bush. So I just think it's a name to be aware of, especially as you figure someone has got to step into that dime safety role, assuming one, Matthew Bailey's healthy and starting a strong safety, or if he were to, to miss some time there. Uh, and uh, we haven't mentioned running back much. That's Reggie Love and Josh McCray. Both both on the Doak Walker Award watch list today, by the way. I think Bielma probably petitioned him there, and they probably didn't want they to. probably him. saw his tweet, and they're like, nah, dude, just add him, add him. Uh, he's he's going to add us if, if uh, we don't put this guy on there, like Isaiah Williams from Blitnikoff, uh, which I agree. Isaiah Williams should have been on that list because almost every good returning receiver is. Uh, but I think they're going to split the carries, so nothing new there. No, just who's the third? Yeah. Same question we've had. Is it Jordan Anderson who – who is limited, who has been limited in the last couple of times we've been to practice is Aiden Lawfrey. One of those two you'd figure in there. All right. That's all I got. And uh, maybe we'll come back in a week, Joey, and give our new thoughts. If we have any new thoughts, if we actually see any more of practice or if it's just stretching and special teams. Are you not going to hide in the stadium for the scrimmage on Friday to try to catch some looks? Well, if I did that, I'll probably never be asked to return. So only if you get found. Yeah. Here's the problem. Like, in all, 
circling the the press box, making sure that's not happening. I just go for the diet coke. To be <laughs> honest, with you. I mean, here's the reality. Like we we kind of joke about it. You couldn't write anything or, or put anything on your message boards that you saw there because then everyone would be like, either you've got a really great source who's giving you like a ton of verbatim information, or you are somewhere in there. Like you can't do it. You cannot do it without without blowing your cover. And not like I have thought about it, but I haven't done it. I've got so the, the risk is greater than the reward. Yeah. Uh the assistants are are, are good to us with like you know, when we ask them about all their guys, like you can learn a lot. And that's why we like doing these coach conversations on the site, because uh, those guys give us a lot of insight when you ask them about all these guys, their progress and, and the expectations. So uh, keep a lookout on that. Cause we got to talk with Charlie Bowen, Terrence Jamison, Bart Miller. I know you talked with Robbie Disher the other day, Joey. I talked with George McDonald. Like um, I know sometimes Q and A's like we like writing up these flowery stories, but sometimes just getting these Q and A's of all their thoughts and all their guys, uh, some of the best stuff for training camp because uh, I think fans can can really get to learn about the roster and and who's going to make an impact based on those. Yeah, and it won't be all training camp. I don't think every time we talk to them we're going to do a Q and A, but especially these early ones as you're trying to sort out who's who and where. I think they're really helpful. Yeah. All right, Joey Wagner. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate the insight. Appreciate it, man. See you tomorrow. Uh, is Jordan Love any good? Hope so. There was a fight at practice today. It was a joint practice. Packers and Bengals. Chase Brown not involved. Elton Jenkins very much involved. What was uh, what was your impression of watching Aaron Rodgers on Hard Knocks? Heartbreak, pain. I miss him a lot. Hope Jordan loves good. Is this Hope a Jets Aaron Rodgers? Is Aaron Rodgers different in New York? I keep hearing like the Jets players raving about him. Could be. I don't know. I kind of. I mean, he is who he is. I th- look. I I don't know, man. He might be. He might be. I miss him. I need him to play 65% of snaps. And I also need them to not be very good. I do not think those two things will go hand in hand. Yeah. Mark Murphy is, is, is right there with you of doing that. Right. All right. Uh, Joe Wagner. Thank you, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Line Enquirer podcast. Give us a follow rating review wherever you get your podcast. Check us out on YouTube as well. And check out all the VIP information from Illinois football training camp up right now at IlliniInquirer.com. Everybody, have a great day. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Inquirer podcast. Bye, everybody.